0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to Tacovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: I'm April Voki, and you are listening to Anchored. My chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the fishing world today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both on and off the water. This episode is made possible by the innovative team behind Peak Fishing, I use a peak vise for my fly tying and can say with authenticity that these vices are designed for optimal functionality and efficiency, all while keeping a low price point for the consumer. I suppose this could be expected by a company whose sole designers are mechanical engineers who also fly fish. Look for a list of prices and dealers at www.peakfishing.com. In this episode of Anchored, Jerry and I continue our conversation about fishing the Pacific Northwest, and we dive into discussion about Skagit lines, Skagit casting, and if anglers should put a self-regulated cap on their own fishing.
2: This is the actual root of the true Skagit line concept. And that, the whole Skagit line idea would have never been possible if it wasn't for Marlo Bumpus. Who? May rest in peace. Marlo Bumpus was kind of, he was like a dad, but a very good friend to me, my, Ed, all of us actually. Marlo and his wife, Karen, had a place on the Lower Skagit down in, it's called Valhalla. And they had this beautiful little cabin and every fisherman was welcome. There were picnic tables and benches around the outside. And if you showed up, Karen would be like, are you hungry? And she would always make us food. Well, Marlo was really good friends with Jimmy Green. Oh, okay. So here we go. And Marlo and Jimmy Green had the most ridiculous pile of double taper lines you've ever seen in your whole life. 12, 13, 14 weight double taper lines. So
1: these are for double hand rods.
2: Yep. They're all old school, two handed double taper lines. And so they were useless basically, but these guys had them. Marlowe was like, Ed and I are working through this idea that we need more grains to turn over these flies.
1: Mm, makes That's, sense. You that, always work from your fly backwards.
2: Right. So we needed more grains to turn over these flies. And what we needed was more grains, but not longer. We wanted to be able to compress our line system. And uh, Marlowe's giving these fly lines to us allowed us to chop these things up and then splice them. We would chop off the tapers right at the transition, right where it goes from level to taper. We would chop that off and try it out. And then we would actually take and splice in a chunk of the taper back in and see how that casted. The evolution of the mo-tip. That is precisely an effect of the intruder. Ed and I wanted to create, we called them modular sink tips at the time. We wanted to create... A casting system that wouldn't change our casting stroke, but allowed us to adjust our depth of presentation.
1: Why is there not an F in Mo then?
2: Because I didn't care about any of it. And that was a conversation that happened on the Grand Ron with all those guys, and it went down that way. <laughs> And so it's fine with me. I could care less either way, but it's, that's just how it goes. You know, within the industry, people are in the right place at the right time and they kind of get a little credit for something that maybe they didn't have a whole lot to do with, but that's okay because it's out there and the masses get to use it now and it's a wonderful system. But the evolution of the Skagit line being driven by the intruder without Marlowe's influence and all his help with all the lines and stuff we would have been, you know, we would have had to scramble a little bit harder. We would have achieved there, gotten there eventually on our own, but he made it possible for us to just literally sit in our house and chop up fly lines. And, and we did, it was, it was literally basically once a week. We were going home, we'd fish really hard all week. And then at some point during the week, we would make an adjustment. We'd build a new line, aqua seal all our loops, get it all pimp and then go out and give it a try and see how it worked Mm -hmm. and we were trying to build a standard system is where we were going with it we were trying to build something that was super efficient and that would turn over these flies really easy and allowed us to kind of fish some of these whacked out areas that we were starting to really enjoy like high banks and really hard you know lots of um, back brush and stuff like that the longer double tapers and the wind cutters and all that stuff they just didn't work and we never i mean honestly there was a little goofing around with the wind cutters you know we'd flip them around and chop them in half and stuff like that and and it's still they you know that these long skinny or long gradual tapers just don't lend to turning over big flies mm-hmm. and so that's basically where the evolution of the skagit line came from and the whole idea of skagit casting you know was the our us adjusting our casting methods and strokes and just casting styles to accommodate these big flies and you know kind of the rest is history there's a lot of variations on the skagit line you know but our original idea is now coming to fruition with opst's line but there there were lots of so-called skagit lines out there that you know they that huck big flies and now Everybody's loving the Skagit lines, you know.
1: And we are going to get into that. I really do want to get into your company and start talking cool. about that. Um, okay, so at this time when you guys are playing with Skagit lines, it's still the same crew.
2: Yep. Yep. Okay. It's it. The we myself and Ed were really we were really gung ho with trying to figure out because we were making you know we we're making advancements we were we were figuring stuff out we were our line systems like with the industry most of the guys were throwing three three and a half four times the length of the rod ed and i were already down to two and three quarters three times the length of the rod we were starting to realize that you could compress these line systems up the grains a little bit compress the line system and then it was working really cool but then there was the discovery of surface tension We realized that certain, the fact that these lines sat really low in the water, these PVC compounds allowed for a tremendous amount of surface tension. The surface tension creates load. And then the sustained anchor method, Ed's sustained anchor casting, started to grow from there. We started to realize that if we changed our casting stroke and continue a little bit more continuous motion right inside the box instead of reaching out big outside circle reach out and then over the shoulder
1: let's um let's go ahead and explain this a little bit so basically if you wanted to really dumb it down what you would say and i hate doing this but i have to
2: yeah understood
1: um if you want to cast a long line it's a long stroke yep Short line, short, short stroke, stroke, right? So exactly. when you have a longer line, like the traditional longer or even mid-belly lines, yep. what you have to do is you have to accommodate that line by drawing a long stroke with your rod tip. So yep. therefore, every rod tip, you know, is moved with your hands, right? So your hands now are drawing this ex- exceptionally long stroke. That's yep. why you're doing that long lift. Your arms yep. are extending out. Yep. Yep. And that's how you're going to cast this long belly line. Absolutely. Where with the Skagit line, because it's a short line, it's going to be a short stroke. So if it's too long, you're going to pop your anchor. Yep. For people, blow it all the time. People who don't know what an anchor is, which is actually what this podcast is named after, ironically enough. But if you're not anchored, you're going to pop your – I mean, if you, if you pop your anchor, you're going to lose your load, and yep. everything's going to just fall in a pile yep. in front of you. It's a disaster. I'm not going to cast so you, the scadget stroke's tiny. I mean, the arms are almost not moving. You're not right. doing this crazy lift. Everything's nice and tight and compact. Right. Okay.
2: Yep. And okay. so that, that, was, that was beneficial. It was huge. I mean, when we first started swinging, fishing two-handed rods, nobody fished high banks. Everybody was on open bars. You were on open bars because you still needed backcasting room. You exactly. still needed room for the D loop. And you know, you had bars like Sock Bar where guys would spend all day long walking through Sock Bar, go sit on the log, chit chat, have coffee. It was just a giant social <laughs> scene. Everybody sat on logs and showed each other fly boxes, and it was cool. You got to see people you wouldn't see all the time. But there's a giant open bar, but there's all these beautiful places that are high banks and backbrush and just crazy, gnarly places to fish. And these big, long, Lines weren't doing the job. And at the time, all there really was was the 9140. So we're talking 14 foot rods. So not only are you talking a big long line, but you're dealing with this giant rod.
1: So everybody needs to have back casting space, and you guys now have a way where you don't need to.
2: And then there was the evolution of the pokes and things like that that were possible with these shorter heads. Mm-hmm. We were able to make these really compact, tiny little loops, very compact strokes, be able to just watch your rod tip go through the space in the trees that you have available, mm-hmm. take a couple steps down or cast off the opposite shoulder to pass over some structure obstacles above your head. And these shorter line systems allowed us to do that.
1: Are you learning from the Scandinavians at this point or do you not have a clue?
2: We don't have a clue. I mean, we're, this is way before
1: the Internet's really popular. Yeah. We're
2: literally just going off of, we're feeding off of our own little circle of dudes, our own little tribe. We're kind of, we're plowing down. We're plowing a lone Pharaoh at this point. Nobody agrees with anything we're doing on either side of the fence. And this is just our little happy place, you know. And so we just, we're just plowing along, having a good time, just enjoying the the advancements that we're making within our own little circle and not caring about anybody around us, you know?
1: So, when does this gadget line go to market?
2: Um, it, honestly, I don't really remember exactly when it happened because I honestly had stepped out of the sport or at least out of the, the, the core of the group. I'd become overwhelmed with the population of people that had come. There was, you know, in the early nineties and deck in all his popularity and his writings, it drew a lot of attention to our end of the world. And it went from, you could fish all week and not see a soul to where I had people walking up behind me and talking to me on the bar all day long. Cause I could cast, you know, mm-hmm. and you stuck out like a sore thumb. Then if you could cast, well, people wanted to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was weird. And, you know, like I said, I'm super solitary and that's not anything I want. I don't want people bugging me when I'm fishing. And anybody who's listening to this, you can, definitely walk up and talk to me now. (laughs) I've changed a lot. So you're more than welcome to come and talk to me and I'd be glad to talk to you. So I love the disclaimers. (laughs) Yeah. I just want to say that disclaimer. You can talk to me, (laughs) but then I didn't want to, and I didn't, I hated it. And it, it wasn't the kind of conversation that you have now where you can talk to someone at a mutual level. Then they just wanted to pick your brain. They wanted to know what you were doing and why you were doing it. Why are you casting like that? Can I see your fly? No, you, can't see my flag get away from me you know it just it wasn't cool so I stepped out of the sport and kind of I still fished a lot but I took an aerospace job and I remember I remember picking up a Cabela's catalog and looking at it and seeing a Skagit line and just being floored I remember actually seeing intruders in there and going what the (laughs) and <laughs> they were Scott House signature intruders in the Cabelas catalog. I
1: mean, you were know. you cool with this? Oh, totally. Because you made the decision.
2: Oh yeah, we. Yeah. You know, and the thing is too is that I don't take ownership in that. I don't. It's it a clan thing. right? It's a clan thing. Yeah. It's like the truth is, is that I don't think. In in a million years I don't think it would have happened without my brain, Ed's brain, and Scott's brain all right. focused on the same thing. Yeah. This this wasn't any one person's accomplishment. It was ours as a group. And it was way bigger than any one person. It was it was it took a group to come to this conclusion. And you know how they say it's like it happens once, it's an accident, it happens twice, it's it's coincidence. It happens three times, well now maybe it's something. You know what I'm saying? So we got three brains working and focused on the same thing, and all of us are kind of drawing the same conclusion. We all have respect for each other. We have respect for their fishing ability, the way they see the world in the river. So this is this is real. This is something. This is this is viable. You know.
1: So at this point now, it's out there. Yeah. Okay. It is out there, and everything changes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Big time.
1: And because everything changes pretty rapidly. It gets a lot of criticism at some point. Oh, yeah. Why? And I told you this today. I was always confused about you guys because I felt like you guys made the lines. You made the flies. You got it so that we could all cast sync tips. And you basically created this huge boom in the industry. One that I might add can be quite lucrative. Oh, yeah. And then you guys just disappeared. disappeared. I mean, Scott was out there. I know Ed did the Skagit Master. You were gone. I was gone. And I was rattled. Yeah. I stepped up. I was like, Wolf,
2: yeah. Someone, I'm coming someone's in. Someone's got to deal with this.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, what, uh, what happened? Why didn't you guys... We're
2: all solitary spirits. And for us, it would never had anything to do with accolades, acknowledgement. It, none of that mattered. All we wanted to do was just improve our knowledge and our understanding of what we were doing. The, the whole sport was just a whole bunch of tribal knowledge. And there were very few people that could put any logic to what they were doing and why they were doing it. They were just doing it because someone else showed them this is how you're supposed to do it. Or they read it in a book and this is how you chase steelhead. And that's not good enough for me. You know, it just wasn't good enough for me. We we just wanted to do something different. And and we wanted to see if you went down this road, if the fish would eat these flies. And and I think it's really good to step out of the box and try really different stuff. And I think to this day, there is no back page to this, this book. There are no masters in this sport. We don't know shit about these fish. Even to this day, look at how big our... Our our giant tribe is now April. We're worldwide when it used to just be us in this little northwest corner of the world, right? We were all these spay people, all super proud of ourselves, and now the whole world is all over it. Well, gadgets everywhere.
1: Let's talk about it. I was going to save this till after we spoke about what you're doing now, but we'll we'll get back to that. Let's talk about the gadget being everywhere because yeah, it's everywhere. I I do have a question for you about this. Lots. Of, I mean, I've been pretty public about this. My as you know, I'm a big fan of history for some reason I just keep wanting to go further back
0: yep.
1: whether I be right wrong or otherwise it's what makes me feel happy oh yeah so I try it's I a try good thing. I really do my best not to judge anybody else yeah but one of the arguments is that we're too efficient at this point and because we're so efficient we're given the illusion that there are more fish than there really are mm-hmm. do you think that's a possibility
2: well I think that we've made it a lot easier than it used to be. So
1: let me run this argument by you. And this is not necessarily my argument. This is something that somebody had mentioned to me, not about you guys, just in general. Mm -hmm. He was a very smart man. And he said, imagine that you're a tennis pro and I'm a tennis rookie and I want to learn how to play. Mm-hmm. And I say to you, listen, Jerry, I want to learn how to play tennis. Can you just lower the net a little bit? You, know, <laughs> you say, well, so we probably shouldn't, but you know what? It's day one, April. All right, Maybe all right, all right. So <laughs> we lower the net. And now I start to score some points. And uh, I start to get pretty good. I want to lower the, the, the net a little bit more. Right. Ooh, I yeah. don't know. i probably really don't know about this. <laughs> Finally, I say, forget it. I want no net. Get rid no of that. No net. net. Well, you, you say. What do you say? No way. No, it's not good for you. Yeah, it's, it's not, not good for good you. Good for the sport. It's no. not good. So, what we have in today's day and age, we've got we got Facebook. You know when the fishing is good. you got forums. You can know when the fishing is good and you can find help. You've got YouTube. You can become a great caster right away. Right. You've got GPS coordinates. You've got all these things online. Now you go ahead and you factor in Graphite especially the the rods we have today.
2: Absolutely.
1: You've got these lines that are incredibly easy to cast. You've right. got these, these giant flies, whether they're efficient or not, you right. know, but you've got these very obvious flies. Yeah,
2: very and, productive flies. Yeah, so yeah. what you've
1: got now is you've got a sport where the guys are better anglers than ever before, if you will. Way better. And yeah. they're learning at such a rapid rate that we've got basically all these great players, but we have half the amount of fish. Right. So a lot of people have said that's not how you play the game. Right. It's one thing when there's three of you guys playing the game, but what do you do when the whole world's not playing the game that way? Well... Is it's like...
2: You know, I think about that. It's... But it's... The truth is, is that if we wouldn't have done it, someone else would have done something close to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not...
1: It, but what do it, you think about it now, today?
2: It, it's, it's, it is, it's super easy, and yeah, I think that, I think that, that the advancements in the technology, and, and I mean technology and equipment, communications, it, it actually has made it way easier, and, and and I kind of take offense to it in a lot of ways because I worked really, really hard to accomplish what I know and what I understand about my sport. But at the same time, I don't wear a badge of honor because of it. And so I think that it's kind of, it is a double-edged sword. We have less fish and your total rookie could literally be productive on his first day where, you could take a guy and he could spend, I spent 14 months swinging for steelhead when I first started before I caught my first one. Me and I too. lost piles of sink tips <laughs> and more flies than I can ever count. I fished <laughs> by myself with my 10 foot eight weight. My arm would be so pumped up I could barely put it down. And, and I just plowed and plowed and plowed in hopes of catching these things I watched everybody else catch, you know. And so, it, yeah, we've made it way easier. But that's just how things go. You know what I mean? And maybe, maybe because it is easier and because more people can catch more steelhead or more people can actually make contact with their Najimus fish that maybe our giant tribe to protect these resources is bigger. And that would be the benefit of it. That would be something that I could see as a positive from it. But I also take a lot of pride in knowing that I played a role in making it easier for people and more people to get into the sport. You know what I mean? And that's that's a really cool thing too because I was always offended by my peers pretending that it was some crazy earned badge of honor to be a steelhead fisherman. You know, you you have to earn all this and without earning it, you don't deserve it. You know what I mean? And But I think anybody who takes the time to suit up and go stand in the river, and go fish for themselves, and see it through their own eyes, that's okay. You they know? deserve it. They deserve it. And they deserve d- it for going out and earning what they learn, you
1: know? Yeah. Well, you know I'm a fan of education. Oh, of course. And a lot of my clients would never be able to continue with the sport if it hadn't been for the schedule. Right. So I am very very, very thankful for that. And look at me. I was a Skagit junkie. Yep. And I would never have been able to do a lot of things, I, the things I've done if it wasn't for the Skagit line. So what about if we are catching so many more fish because we are so productive, do you as a guide and as an angler, a passionate angler, do you think that we should start maybe putting a kind of a self-cap on it?
2: Oh, yeah. That, there's There's definitely this culture of numbers in our sport that, in my opinion, is incredibly unhealthy. And it's these... First off, it's a living creature. It's a living creature. It's a living creature not to be taken for granted. It should not be abused. It should not be looked at as a number. Every single one of them are special. Every single one. Think of what they've accomplished in their solitary existence Potentially swimming out of 24 inches of gravel and then entering a world where every freaking thing there wants to eat you and then surviving to be big enough to where you can run around and be the predator and then come back and live in that giant ocean all by yourself and then enter back into the river. You survived all that malarkey and then you come back into the river and then all you want to do is catch 10 of them and none of them matter. You know what I mean? And to me, it's like, okay, here's a really good story that proves that example. My friend Trevor Kovic, I love him with all my heart, has spent one of the fishiest human beings I've ever met in my whole life and and has gone up to B.C. and had a 100 fish in 10 days, knows what it's like to catch the heck out of steelhead. But he had never really experienced the absurd number pile until he went up to, the, up to Alaska and fished a certain drainage in Alaska. And I remember him sending me an email saying, I know what you mean. If you catch five steelhead in one day, do you still remember how amazing the first one was? Or do they all just start to become a fish? None of them have any individual character. None of them hold any admiration or any different than any other other one. You know what I mean? They all become the same damn thing. It's just another click on your little counter, you know, and that's not the case. They're all individuals and they're all super special and every one of them should be admired and appreciated that you actually got to cross paths with this creature that pulls off something that us as human beings couldn't pull off. It's impossible. So that in itself is... To look at it like it's just a number, that's disgusting. And I actually have a huge problem with it. And so when I hear guys come up to me and tell me about all the numbers they caught, i that's where the conversation ends. I don't have anything to say to those people because I don't care about numbers. I care about the individual. Every single one of them matters to me. And examples of that, I have clients that will spend three to five days on the OP with me on the Olympic Peninsula, which is one of the hardest places you'll ever swing a fly. And when they hook up and land a fish, they're done. They're literally done for the day.
1: Because they want to be done?
2: That's it. That's all they wanted to do was just make interaction with that one fish. They don't care about their gripping grin shots. All they want to do is they want to take some photos while I release the fish in the net, let it go, and that's all that matters to them. And it's going through the motions, making the contact enjoying this beautiful wild creature, letting it go unharmed, and there you go. I've accomplished my feat. That's what I came here to do, was to catch that beautiful steelhead. And so, if he caught five more, does it make it any better? No. It doesn't make it any better at all. It actually makes all the other ones lesser.
1: Yeah, it dilutes my day.
2: It does. It dilutes the day. And Trevor said to me, he goes, I never in a million years would have thought that there were two, there was such a thing as too many steelhead because you get to the point where you forgot what the first one was like. And once you forget what the first one was like, you should be done because now you're being disrespectful, you know, and that's where to me it's a living creature and the fact that they accomplish what they do and that I have, I am blessed with the ability and the opportunity to go fish for these things and then to get to feel their energy and then to get to watch them swim back into the column. I remember that. And I remember the truth is, is that I pride myself on this is that I can think back through my history as a steelheader. And I've done this for close to 30 years now. I can think back. I still remember like it was yesterday. My very first deer Creek fish. I remember the very first fish I caught on the sock. I remember multiple fish in between and it's because I reflect on those individuals I don't just look at them in his numbers I went up to British Columbia and I would catch gobs of fish during the day I mean I had 12 fish day in British Columbia but That 12-fish day was interrupted in multitude of times by sitting on the bank and reflecting on how lucky I was to get to actually do this and to experience the day I just experienced, to have the interaction that I had with all these different individual fish. They were all different, every one of them. Some jumped five times. Some made ridiculous long runs. Some just shook their head a whole lot. But they were all individuals, and I admire every single one of them. And as soon as you start to... start to put them on the numbers card, they all lose their value. And it's, it's just not right. It's, it's just, it's gross.
1: This is the first time where we can be in a situation where we can have the best of both worlds, where we can have the public be able to fall in love with fishing because they get it Mm -hmm. and it's easy, if you will, I say that in quotations, yeah. but it's more, it, it's just, it's, it's easier for them to learn now Absolutely. so that we can have them support the environment because they're, they're, they're advocates yep. for now it. Yeah, now we've got
2: way more advocates. So we've
1: got the support because they can fish, but with a
2: cap. Right.
1: that's what it is for me and that's why I do choose to fish a little bit more difficult these days yeah it's understood because I in BC especially for some challenging fish, and satisfying yeah I'd Probably. rather I'd rather still only catch my two fish in a day yeah, I
2: understand uh, but I be think.
1: able to fish for 10 hours a day yeah
2: and I think it's really cool that you either recognizing that you dialed it back to what you what you want to do and how you want to do it Ed always says this thing that you evolve as a fisherman first you want to catch a fish. Then you want to catch some fish. Then you want to catch big fish. And then you just want to catch fish the way you want to fish. Mm. And that's where I'm at. That's where you're at. And I don't care about numbers. I don't care about size. I just care about going through the motions. That's what it means to me now. It's I I love the act of skadget casting and I love the act of swinging flies and so the fish is always just a huge benefit of getting to participate in that wonderful experience and then of course don't get me wrong I have zero emotional attachment to catching fish personally but for my clients I have huge emotional attachment to Mm -hmm. catching fish I want my clients to be successful because I want them to be bit I want them to I want them to evolve. I want them to understand. And for every fish they catch, they step up a bunch in that knowledge rung. And my ultimate goal is to every single person that sits in my boat as a guide, I want them to outgrow me. I want to be able to guide them to the point where they no longer, I can no longer take their money. I want to be like, I can't take your money anymore. Now we're just fishing friends.
1: Is there, there, I hate to say this because it's actually... I'm actually contradicting myself by saying this, but is there a number that you would suggest people try to stop at? It,
2: the truth is, is that I am at this point where if, if I hook three steelhead in one day, I am done. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, is that if I hook up in a run and there's anyone else around me, I'm done. I will literally step out. You can have it next piece of water. I'll start fishing again. That's and that's, And that's where I'm at. And it's it's never been about numbers because I admire them so much for what they accomplish as an individual in a world of predators and a world of our influence. We destroy everything we look at. And they have to exist within this world that we're basically in control of. You know what I mean? And it's like our Pacific Ocean has got on the opposite side, there's a nuclear power plant that's spewing Radiation into our Pacific Ocean, you know, and I worry about that effect. And I worry about that effect on all of our enajimous fish. And that's our freaking fault. And if we weren't here, the Skagit would still have over 200,000 steelhead ascending it. You know what I'm saying? So that whole thing, yes, there is a cap. And as any individual angler, if you have a soul inside of you that you... Once there's a point where if you can't remember the first fish you hit in the morning, you're done. You're done. Then it's meaningless. Why not just go throw rocks in the water, go break windows? Because it it, it has about the same value or about the same meaning. You know what I mean? It doesn't doesn't add up. If you can't remember what the first fish was like in the morning, then I think you're done. Because for me, it's not... Every single fish I catch, and this is what's really weird, is that I've evolved as an angler. I've, I used to, I was always confused about what I really appreciated about the fish the most. I would always be like, "Oh, it was a really big one. I can't wait to catch a really big one, or one that jumps a whole bunch, or eats my fly really hard." But I realize now that I've gotten to the point that I'm at. No matter the size, no matter how hard they fight. No matter how long it is, no matter how big or shiny they are, it's always the take. That's what I reflect on the most. Mm. The tug is the drug, and that's that's really what it boils down to. Because you've
1: mentioned that countless times today about minute
2: seconds of contact on my fly as it's swinging through the current, weightless. I feel it doing its thing, and those moments, initial moments of contact, is what the whole thing is about for me, and and it's. I realized it fishing with Gray Struznik last year on the cleats on the o p um, we it was the last day it was open. He and I took off and fished all day together, and the very first piece of water that we stopped in gray ran off nature called, and I still had my butt against the boat. I just made my first full link cast to the current seam, and this gorgeous 14 pound hen just destroyed my fly she fought like crazy made more really long runs almost into my backing down to the last run and It was really interesting. Gray didn't help at all. You know, we'd play that no pussies game with the guides. They don't help you whatsoever. They just sit and take pictures of you while they watch you struggle. (laughs) And, (laughs) And so, and I appreciate that. I've landed countless fish without a net by myself. And I really still like to do that. And Gray just took gobs and gobs of pictures. And we were both super stoked about her. And then when it was all over, like I said, she fought like crazy. And the only thing I reflected on was how insanely hard she ate my fly. And that was, that was it. That was all of that. I admired everything about her. I, of course, study them. I look at them really hard and count their spots and look in their eye, you know, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, just everything about their individual character. I, of course, admire every fish. But when it's over and I'm sitting in the boat and watching my buddy fish through the run, finish it out, I'm always reflecting on the take, you know, and it's, it seems really minimal, I guess for such a huge operation to be so enamored with such a short period of time, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But it really is what it all boils down to. It's
1: like dry flies. When I go yeah. on a dry, I don't, I forget everything except for the tape. Yeah,
2: exactly. Or whatever it may be. Yeah. You know, it's, there's tons of variety. To no, them, I don't, you know? I
1: don't think that that's strange at all. Yeah.
2: But it's, it seems kind of, I've always thought it was kind of weird to go put in all this effort to only reflect on a couple hundredths of a second in the whole experience. Does
1: anyone ever ask you why you don't just put your hook off?
2: Y- yeah, yeah, and, and and I have. I've actually, you know, it's like there's, and I have in certain situations, and it very rarely is it here because we work way too hard for our fish <laughs> you around work here. work harder right and here, in, yeah. in Alaska, I've done it. I've, I've moused, and we do this thing called waking and an eggs for dollies that I'll do that, and I won't fish a hook. Okay. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it, it has to the thing to do with is if you fished a hook, you could hook a hundred fish a day. Yeah. And for me, just the fact that I rose the fish was more than enough than having to deal with the whole thing. And the cool part is, is I got to raise the fish without harming the fish. So I just got the same experience. I got to see him eat my fly, even though I didn't stick a hook in his face.
1: Coming up, Jerry and I speak about OPST, muscle memory, and more. Again, just a quick thanks to Peak Fishing for making this conversation possible. Peak products are manufactured and assembled in Loveland, Colorado in the USA. They offer a wide range of fly tying vices and accessories at great prices and can be found at www.peakfishing.com. happy you're back in the game. Yeah. So happy. Let's talk about you being back in the game.
2: Back in the game. So
1: you do your engineering job and you come back to guiding. Yep. In Washington. When did this company start? Please tell me all about OPSC.
2: So what happened with OPST is that we had, Ed and I had some people that were trying to get a hold of us for quite a few years. And with the way our lives were, and the amount of people that are trying to get a hold of you for fishing and stuff like that, you kind of weed through the people you know and don't know. And so these people got on the don't know list a whole bunch. And so years and years went by, and we were plowing along doing our own thing. The industry's coming up with all these gadget lines and stuff, and Ed and I are looking at it like, yeah, nobody's still not where we want it to be. And not actually picking up what we've been laying down. And so we, I am on fishing on the OP one day and I meet my business partner now, James Awasi. And he happens to be fishing with a good buddy of mine out on the OP, Jim Kerr. And so we have a very brief conversation as I'm launching with my clients and Jim is launching with James Awasi. And so we have this very brief conversation. We need to have a conversation. We exchange numbers and then James and I start talking. Well, James has wanted to get a hold of Ed forever. And he also has a very good friend, Yassi Nakano, who is our other business partner who lives in Tokyo, Japan. Um, These guys have been big fans of ours for a very long time, and they've wanted to potentially help us invest in our ideas. Because both of them realize that, in James's words... That we are some true innovators and our innovations and ideas have made a lot of other people a lot of money. And so he thought that it might be smart for you guys to maybe try to take a little bit back.
1: Thank God, yeah. it was driving me crazy as yeah. a businesswoman. I was so confused, and I just thought, well, Why? I just thought, well, they just they can't handle the heat. Where'd of these the guys criticism? Go.
2: Yeah, and and it really was. It was more about the just the attention were really solitary people and it was easier for us to just slide back into our quiet little spot and do our thing. I totally get it. Instead of trying to make our way. And, and so these guys made it possible for us to actually take our original ideas and what we've been working on since the conception of the intruder and the idea of Skagit lines and allow us to bring these things to market. And so, along with our OPST shanks, we have our intruder shanks. We OPST, have our,
1: let's say what it, let's talk about it's what it. The Olympic
2: from. Peninsula Skagit Tactics. And the, the idea behind OPST and the actual name of it, the Olympic Peninsula and the Skagit Tactics. And the reason for that is, is that within our single little tiny Washington we have here, we have our Puget Sound drainages. And we have our Olympic Peninsula drainages. Those two fisheries within the same state couldn't be more different from each other. And what works on the Skagit necessarily doesn't work on the OP. But that's not entirely true. If you change the approach just a little tiny bit in the way that you see the river, what we do on the Skagit works perfect on the OP.
1: Can you give me an example of what example
2: you mean? of what I'm trying to say is is the fact that the fisheries are so different that if you take three steps back don't go any deeper than shin deep don't cast any further than 60 feet and make sure that your fly swings in as far as it can in your dangle you're fishing the op properly now the skagit the sock the skycomish the stillaguamish you could catch a fish where your fly lands and anywhere in between to your dangle.
1: Why do you think that is?
2: Because the drainages here are much longer and much flatter. Ah. The Olympic Peninsula drainages are super short and super steep.
1: And I wouldn't really know what to make of that if we hadn't fished together today. And do you I remember. remember me screaming to you when, I had, when that bull trout took? I saw that bull trout. I mean, it was just, sure, it's not and a steelhead. It was way out there, too. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. And I know it's just a trout. It's not, it's not a steelhead. But I saw it take my fly off the top. I mean, in that glacial water. It was just
2: yeah. craziness. On a nice long cast straight out. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I, I definitely, I mean,
2: yeah, I'm and, a believer. And, and so that could, have, that could have easily been a steelhead. Yeah. You know, and that's how it is on this gadget. But that's not how it happens on the OP. Okay, interesting. Yeah, you know I, didn't how, know, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's not how it happens out there. Those,
1: is, is that why all the guys are fishing eggs all the time?
2: Yep, they're fishing on, and that's why they fish the edges the way they do. You right. notice, okay, so if you spend enough time on the Olympic Peninsula, and you'll realize that if you're a swing guy, you'll see a bobber boat come down, and they're floating over where you're casting to fishing to where you're standing Uh Uh Ah. so that in itself should be a really big tell if the guys in the boats are fishing the edges of the river then that means the fishes are on the edges of the river (laughs) so casting all the way across of it is only going to do you good if you're going to catch a fish on the other side. Yeah. Because there's not going to be anybody in the middle. Why? Because the rivers are short and steep.
0: Oh, and they
2: storm. So, and in most cases, the best gravel is within about 60 feet of the beach anyway. The best substrate is. I mean, right. you know what the is like. What's yeah. the middle of the Skeena like? It's a giant pea gravel highway. Yeah. And where's all the good rock? 60, 80 feet from the beach. That's where they yeah. are. And it's also the most favorable moving water you know, they don't want to swim up through big heavy currents. They want to swim up something easy. Yeah. the least least resistance. resistance. Right. So with the evolution of OPST, it gives us the opportunity to bring all these things that we've been keeping in our back pockets that we find to be really effective, functional pieces of equipment or ideas or just real good time savers. Mm -hmm. And, and then pieces of equipment that help people do things like my dubbing spinner, my dubbing spinner, is really unique because it's heavy. It's heavy. It spins really hard and it helps people tie my composite loops really well. And where all of the dubbing spinners that are out on the industry in the marketplace now, they don't work for what I'm trying to show people so i got to make them a dubbing spinner you know and oh my we, god i
1: need to go on your i need to find this dubbing spinner yeah i have a miserable time trying to find proper dubbing dubbing I'll dubbing send, tools and then I'll,
2: I'll send you one
1: the ones that i do find that have the great ball bearings they just they fall apart and they're yeah. miserable yeah and
2: this thing's really awesome it doesn't roll off your table it's got a beautiful perfect Oh component. mine was
1: always rolling off absolutely. the table
2: absolutely it's just you know and and you know this is just a copy of a one that I made on a blade a million years ago. Well
1: tell me tell me what the top 5 selling items are. Or the top 5 items that you're proud of on that on that site.
2: Well what oh. we right now the first thing that we came out with was our running line our laser <gasps> Okay
1: line. and you know what and this is not a sales pitch I would just like to say that there are <laughs> it's not <laughs> like your sponsoring this. I mean, I came to you. It was like, Jerry, can uh, you meet up with me? Right. I got to tell you, on the Dean, somebody brought your running line. It's excellent. Yeah. You should be very proud of yourself. We
2: are. We're real proud of ourselves. And and what you know for sure with all our OPST products is they're not gimmicks. They're things that we've used for many, many years that we've been fine-tuning, and now we can professionally manufacture those quality products for people and give them to the masses like the shanks. I mean, it took the industry f- until we did it to make a shank,
1: which is hysterical because all they are, are they're cut off
2: hooks. filed hooks. hooks. Right. Yeah. And well, the beauty of that is, is those are produced by a hook company. So they're not making a bent. They're, they're literally just making an eye in oh the finished wire. <laughs> yeah. But everybody was trying
1: to find ways to make it better. Everyone was like, oh, where's the Waddington shanks at? And, oh, there's the fish skulls. And, oh, here's the tubes, which I still do like tubes. But Tubes are awesome. You know, oh, there's this, and there's that, and this. Oh, my God. Why didn't somebody just think to start selling cut-off shanks?
2: And, and I've always been such a huge shank fan that it just made sense. So we have cut off our... Cut-off shanks. The, exactly, <laughs> cut-off shanks. And so we found a company that make the wire size the size we wanted for the round-eye shank. And the round-eye shank is for a variety of things. It's to accommodate all your cones and beads and those construction. And then, of course, we have... And they're upturned eyes. And then we have an upturned eye return-eye shank that is, but it is a stainless blend. So your intruder guys can tie their intruders on a shank that won't rust. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of that homage. It's a little bit smaller and, you know, you need a return die. So you've got a good purchase for a dumbbell eye. And then of course you need a straight shank so you can use cones and beads and things like that for the cone and bead tires, you know, because not everybody's the same. And I wanted to, you know, there's things that I tie with cones and I tie with dumbbell eyes and I like them both. So I wanted to make a shank for both because there's a lot of people out there who love to tie on shanks and everybody gets tired of cutting up hooks. Mm-hmm. So let's have a shank in the running line. That's a really good thing. The dubbing spinner is a really good thing. I am really stoked about our modeled ostrich drabs. You know, the spotted ostrich drabs, the barred ostrich drabs. Those are the drabs of feather that, is not on the industry and we were able to take and get these things modeled and dyed in the colors that we really like and now we can offer the drab to people another feather that it it has a unique character
1: and they're not super plumy
2: no they're they're beautiful very gorgeous shapely little feather so they're not super
1: plumy and they're not bleach burned nope Okay.
2: Yeah. Okay. And so they're they're just they're a lovely little feather. And and then there's the barred versions Mm -hmm. and then there's the spotted version. And I'm really fan of the spotted version because that's how I would model my ostrich plumes when I bought them is I'd stick them on my fly tying table and go crazy on them with a Sharpie. Right. You know, and (laughs) and all of that came from our love for Amherst. That's exactly where it came from. Because yeah, okay, amber yeah. looks all beautiful in the water. It's all speckled and modeled. So I, I want some model ostrich and just take the Sharpie to it or some permanent marker. Yeah. And so the OPST allows us to give the world all these things that we think are good products.
1: Are you selling flies on there?
2: Um, we haven't yet. And that's because we're trying to actually get the flies tied by a company that can mass-produce them.
1: Oh, it's so difficult. Oh, yeah, my goodness. Yeah,
2: it's really, really hard. And I've I've actually haven't been able to find anybody that can actually tie my dirty hose or my intruders. <laughs> and so it's been a real challenge. It's
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just so awful.
1: Okay, so, um, yeah, when you do find somebody who can both manage your hose and your other flies, let yeah. me know because I'm also looking for somebody to help manage my flies. Manage my... Manage
2: Maybe my, not so
1: much my dirty hose, but definitely hose.
2: the rest of my flies. And the dirty hose applies. On words, right? Yeah, do tell. Uh, do yeah, tell. it's a play on words of the of the Ho River.
1: Oh, is that what it's play on yeah. words yeah with?
2: the no. Ho River? Okay, okay. yeah, because there's a lot of people. When we went to Japan, everybody was like, "Are you going to show us the dirty whore?" But- <laughs> yeah. And so it was like, "Well, wait a minute, now it's, no. it's not the same thing." <laughs> It's not. It's H-O-H, right? And H-O-H is a river on the bridge yeah. and on the Olympic Peninsula. That's oh my what God, it is. that might plan. be the funniest
1: thing I've ever heard.
2: <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of it. Could you show us the dirty horror or the <laughs> prostitute? I'd heard that prostitute fly a couple what? times. No, 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 no. no, no. no. It's so, a river. The hoe yeah. is
1: actually a fantastic steelhead river. Yeah, really and is. so
2: we, we had to clarify that with every single person who interviewed us so they would actually write it down correctly you know H so that end. was a h-o-h it's h-o-h <laughs> it's 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 ho like the ho river yes. you know so and it's dirty because it's all flashy and bright and stuff you know and yes. actually someone said that to me they were like that's a really dirty fly jerry and i was like you think and he goes yeah that's a lot dirtier than Utah, you, you know because it's super flashy has a bunch of flash and real bright <laughs> stuff in it and, and i was like yeah it's a dirty ho and I was just like, ding. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you, you yeah, there it is names. again. Just, yeah, it's just like like waking an eggs, you know. <laughs> it's a waking fly with an egg hanging off the back. Oh, know? I so love waking it. Waking an eggs.
1: So who owns the company? Is it you and Ed?
2: It's me, Ed, and Yassi Nakano, James Awasi. We are the four partners. We brought in Ben Paul and Trevor Kovic. That is the entire OPSD crew. This is your team. Got we it. We are currently looking for a female to be part of that crew because what we have to offer is very accommodating for the female stature. We're going to build rods. Of course, we know that our line systems are short and easy to cast. And I also believe that there is a market for these shorter rods besides the fact that they're just way less physically Taxing to fish, cast, use, period. They also fit the stature of smaller people. The rod should be proportionate to the person using it. (laughs) You a five, you know, you get some five foot nine inch or some very short person fishing a big long rod. That's a lot of swing weight and a lot of leverage. Not to mention their hands may not be big enough to hold the handle correctly. The handle may be too long. For their shoulder width, for them to use the rod correctly. So proportioned rods for per personal proportions are important. And so we realized this a very long time ago. I have a client that proves this point entirely. This is Barb Hestron. I love her with all my heart. And she's very physically... Um, Limited, but she can absolutely enjoy the spay rod all day long because she has a system that is tailored for her size, her shoulder width, and the diameter of her hands. So there's no fatigue, and she can fish this efficiently all day long. And that's how it should be. It shouldn't be a wrestling match. You shouldn't be getting your ass kicked. It should be something that you can comfortably do. And the easier it is, the less fatigue it is, the better you get at it the more efficient you become, the easier it is to understand, the more effective you are. You know, it's not this thing you hate. And so that's the beauty of this whole scenario is that we were able to take all these ideas that we think the world would like to have and share it with them. And if there's something that they, if this is something that you want, something that interests you, we have stuff to help you out.
1: What about lines?
2: So what we're offering is we're offering a A line system that is our vision that has evolved I should say from the beginning and what's really cool about this is that for every year that goes by there's this huge amount that we would learn and so what we thought was the cat's meow the year before changed a little bit the next year and then a little bit more the next year and a little bit more the next year and what happened along the way is that Ed and I we fell in love with the switch rod. We fell in love with the shorter rods and the efficiency of these shorter rods. And once you fall or realize that fishing is not about casturbation, it's not about how far you cast. It's about how well you fish the cast. I don't cast very far anymore because I know I don't need to. I just need to fish it well. So with my 11 foot, six inch, eight weight or Within that zone, 12 feet is about as far as I go now. Anything longer than 12 feet and it just feels way too big to me. But within those shorter rods, spay rods and switch rods, we're building line systems to accommodate all those in a very optimized idea. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to optimize the casting package to make your casting stroke and the performance of the rod more efficient and easier. And so it'll apply, it'll apply from the spay rod world up to about 13.6 all the way down to 13.6 and a 9.10 weight rod all the way down to a true 7.5 foot 3 weight. We have a line system to accommodate that. If you have single-handed rods, for all you trout and bass fishermen out there, if you have single-handed rods that you want to benefit from Skagit Tactics, we got you covered. And that's what it's all about is now you can go out and you can take your three weight rod and you can go fish that high bank bouldery section that you could never fish before with Skagit Tactics with your same three weight rod.
1: Those guys are everywhere in Australia and New Zealand and everywhere else I go. A lot of people do not want to invest in a double hand rod, but they want to use spay casts.
2: Yeah, they want the benefits of that that's that idea and now we can do it for him and all of that started with us in alaska all those tiny little back channels and here we are with 13 foot greenie you know some 13 and a half foot rod and we're thinking oh this is short for the skagit and i can reach all the way across the side channel mm-hmm. you know what i mean yep, so the evolution of that was it just made sense it take these rods these switch rods or single-handed rods that you really love and put the proportional system on it and away you go, you know, and it's efficient, super easy to learn and use and they cast really well. They're easy to fish. They're just, it's just a super efficient system.
1: But why not just buy uh, one of the other lines that's already on the market?
2: Well, the reason for that is, is because the industry has been coming up with something new every year for you to buy (laughs) for the last 25 plus years we have been fine tuning a complete system that literally is the ultimate idea of what we wanted to achieve. But that idea, because if I said that back in 1990, we had this idea, we didn't have this idea. This idea has evolved continuously since then. And literally from the conceptual, from the conception of our very first prototypes built for this idea by this company, OPST, within the three years of our R&D of these line systems, I have learned more than I ever knew before that. The amount that I've learned about how it works, why it works, how to make it work, how to show people how to make it work, it just, it exponentially grows constantly. The more I fish, the more I learn about it. And I'm just, I'm kind of blown away i i'm curious how much further we can take this
1: i'm curious too
2: yeah i mean we have some ideas i know we can cross over into we we have this idea where we can blend scandy and skagit we can make them where the scandy guys will be happy to fish a line that was built by me and ed <laughs> you know what i mean so and that that's that's to come that's the next piece to follow what we have here. Integrated line systems so guys can avoid the loop-to-loop so we can give guys a full-blown floating scandy system. Very accurate, very precise.
1: Well, speaking of education, so you've got a bunch of videos on your website. Mm-hmm. And, uh... What's going on with that? So you're you're not only offering a product but you're offering you or you're explaining how to use it. What we're
2: offering is we have products and what we wanna do is we wanna offer products and we wanna offer you the main line to our information. On the OPST website our which is the the it's opskadget.com, our brilliant Um, General Manager Ben Paul built our website, took all our pictures. He's the brainchild behind that delicious website, and it is. It's wonderful. And he also does all our videos. So the idea here is, is that not only are we going to sell you a product, but we're also going to provide you with a video catalog a free video catalog that you can just go on our website. And if you want to learn how to do any of the casts we do or how to tie the perfect triple surgeon knot in your laser line or how to use my dubbing spinner correctly or how to do a multitude of things, how to land a fish by yourself, you know, we'll have a video for that. We do have a video for that. And that's what the whole idea is, is to take, and share what we've learned over all these years and share it with the people who want to learn it. If you're interested, it'll be right there for you on our website. And not only can we give you a product, but then we can support you with the information. And then in five years from now, when you want to buy that same line and that same running line and that same head or the same rod, we'll have that for you. Why? Because we believe in the consistency of a good idea. (laughs) And I don't, I personally don't like to love a rod and then to find out that that rod is no longer available. <laughs> Which
1: know? happens a lot. Okay? It
2: happens every other year, <laughs> and, and it's kind of annoying. And so that that's what, what I think is really cool about the line system that we have coming is that what I've learned about it is, is that I can take a complete beginner, I mean, you can put your boots on backwards and I can have you spay casting by the or skagit casting by the end of the day. I can have you efficiently fishing by the end of the very first run. And that's what I want to do for you. I want to be able to give you the opportunity to make it super easy, but the beauty of it is is you will never outgrow the performance of that system. You will literally be able to take that system to a level that... I, to this day, am still trying to figure out its capabilities, how much I can do with it. It's crazy how much I can do with it. Trevor Kovic has opened up all kinds of doors. I mean, people say you can't single-spay a Skagit line. Well, you can single-spay this No, I've line. seen that
1: done. What, what's your take on Skagit lines creating bad habits for people okay. as far as casting goes?
2: I have a really, really simple equation for that. And here's what it is. Most people... There's very few athletes in the world, very few athletes in the world that can do multiple sports, okay? And the reason for that is, is there's this thing that we have as human beings, it's called muscle memory. You build a method. It's like, for example, some people can brush their teeth with just their right hand or shave their face with just their right hand. Try to shave your face with your left hand or brush your teeth with your left hand. So you have these conditioned muscle reactions to things you do. If you want to be a Skagitcaster and you want to be a really good Skagitcaster, the way to be a really good Skagitcaster is to never pick up a scandiline, line because they are completely different animals. Some people can cross over and be pretty good at this and pretty good at this. And I'll admit, I'm not one of those people. I'm a person that I'm a good athlete and I know that about myself, but I can't spend all summer fishing a scandy line and then pick up my Skagit in the wintertime and be an efficient Skagit caster again. So my philosophy is not to dilute my natural process as a caster, I'm a good athlete and I know that I could pick up most rods and I can make them work, but to be super efficient and enjoy myself and Excel as a caster, I have to focus on one style and I have tons of clients and I know this from personal experience who spend their whole summer hucking scandy and then come back and fish with me in the winter and complain about their casting. And I'm like, okay, that's not really the problem. <laughs> the problem is you. <laughs> it's the fact that you won't stick with one thing and get really good at it. You're yeah. kind of good at it. By the end of the winter, oh, I'm getting to be a better Skagit caster. And then you go and put your Scandy line on and change everything. <laughs> and so now you've destroyed everything that you built up last winter. For me, I won't cross that line. Right. I won't pick up the Scandy rod and I won't pick up the Scandy line and I won't make myself do it. Why? Because I'm a Skagit. Casket. can you
1: explain the difference a lot of people do not understand the difference between scandy and scadget it is a, it's a huge confusion. it's a huge
2: difference all of the body movements are different the length of the line is different the movement of the rod is different Well, of course the Bodies. length of the line is
1: different the, the the weight distribution of the line is different and the stroke is different but is there anything else that's specific to the scadget doesn't ed start his sweep so after he sets his anchor say that we're doing a snap tee and with a longer, well, although you wouldn't really necessarily do a snap tee with a longer line, but typically on the sweep with a longer line, mm-hmm. you're starting closer to the water and you're gradually rounding up yep. uh, as you angle up into your D loop yep. and into your circle up position. Right. With your Skagit line, is it true that Ed does not start his sweep at the the water he nope, starts to on sweep wa-
2: Nope, it's on the water. It is
1: on the water. And
2: the reason for that is, is that for every little, for every foot you lift the rod tip off of the water, you mm. have to move the rod tip twice as far to engage the line. Right. So because our line systems are so short, it's important that we use every bit of our stroke to move the line. So
1: who is it who was promoting starting the sweep higher off the water?
2: A lot of the modern spay casters, Deck Hogan, the the Tom Larmeir's the Scott O'Donnell's for what the, kind
1: of line though?
2: That just basic skagget. Because that's that's modern skadget. Well, what the hell's the difference between... Mo- now I'm really confused. Right. And the truth is, is that there's... Okay. The dividing line is there's modern spay casting, which can be literally very closely confused with, like, how you would cast a Scandi. Okay. Because a lot of the lines are fairly close or roughly, you know, somewhere in that same lengthish zone, let's which say. Which is what? Mm, 24, 27, 31 feet. 32, okay. right around in there. Yeah. Our longest line is 18 feet. Which is
1: crazy to me because I'm still from the age of, you know, 26 feet. Right. And even I had the Northwest. I mean, what was that? Like 30? What yep. was the Northwest?
2: Yeah, there were 30, 32.
1: So that, that's that's my mentality. I mean, 18, that is a... Super short. Super, super short. But,
2: but what it is is we're 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 shooting towards an optimized projectile. We're going for two to two and a half times the length of the rod. Right. And then we're going for an optimum grain window. And the optimum grain window consists of the head and the tip combined. The head is not the sole casting package. When you put a tip on the end, how, how much does 10 feet of T14 weigh? Eighty grains is that is that right is that good math I, I,
1: I'm not <laughs> I think, entirely I think, I
2: think it is it's roughly okay well let's just go I mean you're,
1: I'm st- I'm also the fifteen foot tippers mean. see it's
2: ten to twelve foot feet. you know I fish no nothing longer than ten to twelve feet and and, I, and, for that and is...
1: I've always cut my tips down to twelve to thirteen but right. we're on the same page with right
2: that. and it's clean line of scene.
1: obviously the Skagit line is designed for a tip yep. You'd be foolish to go out there with an 18 foot line and put on a leader in your fly. You're gonna pop your anchor every time. Yeah, it's not gonna work. Confused unless you have a ton of overhang as compensation, or you're fishing, you know, a nine foot rod. Exactly. So it's designed (laughs) to have a sink tip, right? Yep.
2: Exactly. So the tip and the head combined are the total casting package.
1: Right. Exactly. But you're still. I'm still fine. That when clients come with that setup, I'm still having a hard time not popping the anchor. I have to really shorten my stroke. So it is a tiny stroke.
2: Yeah, it's a tiny stroke. Okay, okay. But it's a tiny stroke with appropriate length rod. So the stroke is still tiny, but what's really cool about it is the line, if all you do is have to embrace just certain fundamentals, like we were talking, starting with your rod tip on the water, an instant engagement of the line. So now the rod is instantly loading, a nice continuous motion, just like you would with a Scandi. Gradually ascending up to a 45 position over your shoulder and straight up. The difference is, is that a lot of people think with the Skagit there's a stop. There's a stop. Oh, okay, no. With ours, there is no stop at all. It's a continuation of motion. And the better you get at it, all it is is a little tiny ellipse, a little tiny turn right here.
1: There's not a stop in any of the spay casts.
2: Nope, not that I, but what modern spay has evolved that way. There's this flick it back, flick it forward
1: oh mentality. oh well that 's interesting okay yeah
2: so there 's this very there 's a, a large following of people that I see that have a very linear casting stroke, and the linear casting stroke throws a lot of closed loops and so if you 're flicking it back and flicking it forward and you 're throwing a bunch of closed loops, you need to go out and around and over your shoulder and so the idea behind our Skagit stroke is is that it's very efficient. It's tight, clean, and continuous. And that continuous motion allows for you to have good accuracy and constant constant load on the rod. So you just have good propulsion and go, always have good load. You know, you always have good load. It's efficient and it's easy. You know that, and that's the idea. And the cool part is is being able to take. We want to be able to cross over into the single-handed rod world, and we want people to be able to do that. And that, for us, is the biggest part of it. The whole spay and steelhead and salmon thing, what we have to offer is going to be a level of efficiency that most people haven't seen yet. And that's what we're really excited about, is that in the spay world, our systems are incredibly easy to use. But in in the two-handed rod world, I'll say... But once you start getting down into the real switch rods, 11 feet and shorter, in the two-handed application, and then true single-handed rods, we've developed a line system that allows those rods to perform. It's not kind of working. It's totally optimized. They're fun to fish.
1: Your single-hand spay casting lines, are they designed so that you are going to have to put your your other hand on the butt or is it your hauling hand?
2: You can, you can haul and it
1: can I, can I haul it? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Cool. Yeah.
2: Cool. Yeah. It's all about the haul. Perfect. Yeah. It's super cool. And that's the cool part is because our, our general manager, Ben Paul is a big fan of little creeks, small water. He's one of the most beautiful single handed sketch casters I've ever seen in my whole life. And he's part of the reason I brought him into this group because I we all have the things we love to do and it's a different shade of green to everybody and if you could bring a bunch of people in if you could bring if we could have a bass person in our crew and a guy that wanted to throw cast off the beach in Hawaii for bonefish if we could have that guy in our crew our line system will work for all of these, and all those people could take them out and put them to their paces. And then they could show the world that you could use a single line system to do a whole lot of really cool stuff. And within in using these same methods, you know, that I've guided guys that work in the fly shop in Hawaii on Oahu. And as soon as they saw the line system, the very first thing they said is he said, I want this for casting for bonefish off the beach. Because he saw me overhead cast the thing. <laughs> he was just like, oh my god. He couldn't believe how well it flew, how far it flew, how accurate it was against the wind. He was like, I want this, you know, so I gave him one of my little custom made lines and he told me how great it was and he and he pestered me and pestered me until the line systems came out. <laughs> you know, he was like, Yes, finally. No more splices. <laughs> you know, he was super stoked about it. And it, you know, it just boils down to being efficient and making it easy. It shouldn't have to be hard shouldn't have to spend years and years and years figuring out how to cast so then you can in turn figure out how to fish you know
1: i think you guys are gonna do excellent
2: i think i hope so i'm feeling really good about it i'd be really stoked that if ed ward would get back in the equation
1: yeah. <laughs> we'll get it. you'll get him back eventually you'll get him back. is there anything you would like to add or ask me no, I think I asked you everything today. Yeah, we had a good chat today. my
2: My biggest My biggest question was is if it was true that your favorite part of every run was the tail out. Yes, it is. Yeah, so we, we have a common love in that respect. Mm-hmm. So I love the tail outs.
1: I can't thank you enough for today. It was excellent.
2: Ditto. Thanks I agree. Much. I had a wonderful time. Me too. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Please be sure to take a moment to leave a review about Anchored on iTunes and let me know what you think about the show. Thanks for listening.